Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Today, let's go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, and, and we're leaving Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and we're going to jump ahead to Moses' um, adventures and walking and leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so um, we see in Exodus chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 8 and read through verse 16, and it says, while the people of Israel were still in Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek, and we'll talk about who Amalek is in a moment, they attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. And then tomorrow, I will go up and stand on top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did exactly what Moses had commanded, and he fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill, and as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. You guys have been there, right? You try to, like, and it doesn't take long. If you're trying to, like, hold something up so you can screw it in or, what, like, even change the light bulb, and maybe you guys have those, like, fixtures that, that you have to unscrew, like, the little thing off, and it's like your shoulders get tired. Come on, right? <laughs> My man knows the pain I'm talking about. And so you got to think like, like Moses is holding it up. And so he gets tired and he starts dropping it. And then the Amalekites take the advantage. And so here's what Aaron and Hur found a stone. They found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset, not just changing a bulb, but all day. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands so that his hands held steady. And as a result, says Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites in battle. Moses built an altar there, and he named it Yahweh Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And he said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, talking about the Amalekites. So now... The Lord will be at war with Amalek for generation after generation. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And so last week when we talked about the God who sees me, and Hagar said, I've seen the one who sees me, that we can understand that, that God sees us genuinely. He hears us clearly. He directs us. Well, like we, we can understand that, and, and we can even understand where Abraham said that, that I have seen Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, but the Lord is my banner. Like what is, what is like how does that Translate and, and when you think about a banner, a banner is used for several different things. And 
when you think about it in the sports world, whenever a like one of our childhood heroes has been retired from NFL, NBA, what do they do? They, they retire the jersey and they hang up a banner in the rafters with their name and their number honoring that person. When our championship team wins, I heard Alabama won the SEC championship last night, right? Um, okay. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to hurt. But like, I'm sure there were some flags. I was at Friendsmas having a good time, okay? You, the rest of you sinners were watching football, okay? Um, but I'm sure when, when, when you're like, I was watching football at Friendsmas, okay? <laughs> right? But I'm sure when Alabama won, they were waving their banner in victory, right? And then also when we look like, look at this, a banner is lifted in the military field so that soldiers and warriors know kind of where the rallying point is or they know where the warriors are at and they can look around and they can see their banner that has their signal on it. And so just, just a couple of pictures just to kind of help us see this and understand this. When the Olympics happen, all the athletes walk in with their banner. They're waving their banner as a sense of honor, as a sense of recognition, as a sense of affiliation and unity. And then the next picture we all remember from our history books is when, when the American flag is being raised, symbolizing that we've had victory in this moment. And so Moses has, has finished this battle and, and the Amalekites are defeated. And he says, I'm lifting up the name of God, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And I love Exodus. Anybody else love the book of Exodus? Like reading the book of Exodus makes me feel better as a pastor, makes me feel better as a, as a leader, as a person, because you read all the complaints that Moses had to endure while he was leading people. And, and, and he survived for the most part. And so not that I have a lot of complaints from you guys, right? You guys are incredible. Really, you are. Like, you don't cause me a whole lot of stress. But, but reading that, it's like, okay, if Moses can do it, I can do it. But then also seeing how Moses talks to God, like, really? You talk to him with that kind of attitude? And God's not too small that he can't take it. And so being able to know, like, God's okay with my big emotions. God can handle my complaints. He may bring some correction, but we can be real and authentic with God. And so what we see happening in Exodus chapter 14 through 17 is the miraculous release of the children of Israel who had been in bondage and slavery for hundreds of years and generations. And Moses goes and rescues them, leads them miraculously through the Red Sea. And then the Red Sea falls on top of the enemy and they get to the other side. And this is, this is what they celebrate in Exodus 15. It says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. They're standing on the other side, singing this and celebrating. And then we get to Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus chapter 16, they're like, we're so hungry. We want to go back to Egypt. It's not, are we there yet? It's, can we go back where we came from? And so God miraculously provides manna from heaven and enough quail to stuff their bellies. And those of us with kids, we know that when our kids are hungry and we give them to something to eat, what's the very next thing they're complaining and asking for? Dessert. <laughs> but also something to drink, like 
Like we've been there, our kids are begging for ice cream. Can I have ice cream? Give me ice cream. I want Andy's. You give them Andy's, you give them ice cream. We're driving around in the car, they finish the ice cream. What are they? They're thirsty now. And so Moses has, has went to God and God provides miraculously and fills their belly, but now they're thirsty. And the children of Israel are saying this, like we're, we're thirsty or we're just gonna like, like, we're gonna starve, we're gonna dehydrate here in the wilderness. And they say this, is there no God among us? They've just seen God part the Red Sea, provide manna from heaven, quail to eat. Oh, and forget the fact that he's purified water and he's healed water for them to drink. We'll talk about that next week. Now they're saying, is God even here? And God tells Moses, go to this rock and I'll stand before you, smack it, and water will pour out of it. And that's exactly what happens. And so now they find themselves in this place of, of, of battling and they are attacked at this place called Rephetim, which means place of rest. They're tired, they're weary, they're hungry. They've been on a forever long road trip. I mean, like, think about this. He's traveling with over a million people. We can't survive with, like, a couple in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> right? We can't, like trying to decide where to go eat with a crowd of people is just like the worst thing ever. Like for me, that would be the opposite of heaven. It's just for eternity trying to work with people on where we're gonna eat and we'd never get to eat, <laughs> right? Because we like, like that would be it. And, and, and that's what Moses is having to deal with, attitudes like that. And they come to this place of rest and this is when they're attacked. And because we, so they're attacked by the warriors of Amalek. And this is the first time we see the, the, the name Amalek, but you need to know that Amalek is kind of family. That Amalek is the descendants of Esau. And Jacob was the brother of Esau. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a brother named Esau. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of beans. And then Jacob deceived his dad to receive the blessing that was meant for Esau. And so there's a little bit of a family feud there, all right? Thanksgiving was rough, Christmas was rough, and now they're being attacked. And so what happens, this is what, this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 through 19. He says, never forget what the Amalekites did did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked when you were exhausted and weary and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies in the land, he is giving you as a special possession. When I give you the land, you must destroy the Amalekites and erase their memory from under heaven. What does he say? Never forget this. And we see these pesky Amalekites, they just keep showing up. And story after story, when the children of Israel are sent into the promised land to spy to see if we could take it, they came out saying the Amalekites are in there. We can't defeat them. They've forgotten that they'd already defeated them in the very first battle. And then we see when King Saul, the very first king of Israel, he is commissioned to go and destroy all the Amalekites, everything, the cattle, the livestock, everything. He does not do that. Instead, he brings the king back to offer as a sacrifice before God. God wasn't wanting extra credit. He was just wanting Saul to do the assignment. 
And so the Amalekites are hanging around because they're not fulfilling. Erase them from memory. Never forget this. And so here we see the first point of attack. And they attack at a place of rest because here's where the enemy attacks us, attacks us when we are most vulnerable. That makes sense, right? Well, when are we most vulnerable? Well, here in, in this act, we see it's when they were tired and they were hungry. They were straggling behind. That's when we are most vulnerable to attack is when we're overworked, when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're kind of getting to a place of rest. But you know what had just happened weeks before? They had just seen this miraculous thing like they had been freed from Egypt. They'd had this great victory. So sometimes attacks can come after our greatest victory, but then also after our greatest defeat. So it's like, Stephen, it sounds like you're saying like we're always at a place where we're vulnerable. We're only at a place where we're vulnerable is where we forget who is with us and take our eyes off the one who is leading us. Whether we are victorious, whether we have lost whether we are tired, whether we are hungry, whether we are like excited when our eyes remove where they're supposed to be, that's when we're the most vulnerable and that's where they found themselves. And so the enemy comes and he attacks us. He attacks us, but he works the same way every time. Guys, do you know that? There's no like new tactic that he's gonna use. He's been doing it since Genesis, and he's still doing it today. And it, it, it comes out really in mostly two tactics. The first one is this, is it's through our flesh and our sin nature. Through our flesh and our sin natures. For them, it was like, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired. Fulfill us. And what happens with us, we have a desire for relationships. We have a desire to feel a certain way. We have these desires, and if we're not careful, we will allow that sinful flesh to attack us. And this is what Paul, this is how he says it in Galatians 5. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature. So there's this, there's this war in us, that this battle, this attack that Paul's talking about, and he says this. He says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so we're never free to carry out our good intentions. So like, there's always this, I wanna do good, but I'm tempted to do this. And he says, we're not free. We're not free to carry it out without a fight. Let me say that. There will always be a fight within our flesh to do what God is calling us to do through the Spirit. But here's what I want you to know, is we have the power to say no. When our flesh rises up, when our temptations come, when we feel like we, we like in order to get some relief, rest, favor, attention to do what our, our flesh is wanting us to do, which is against the spirit, we have the power to say what? Can we practice that? Because that was kind of lame. <laughs> we have the power to say what? No. You guys are getting close, all right? We have the power to say what? No. no. Say it like you mean it. Say it like your child's asked you for 15 times for something and they didn't hear it. How do we say it? We say it loudly and we say, no, no. come on. Oh man, I jumped, right? A hard no leads to a better yes. And we forget that we, walking with Christ, we have the power and the ability and the strength to say no. 
So we don't just fight this flesh and sin nature, we also fight the way of the world. That's the other tactic. And it's not that, that we're in a world war, it's that there are these ways, there's these ideas, there's this value system, there's these products, there's, there's relationships that are, that are worldly that come against the things of God. And, and Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.24. He says, or actually he says this in First uh, John. First John says this, uh, chapter five, verse 15. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you don't love the Father. For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure for what we see and the pride of achievements. That's the system of the world. Fulfill our physical pleasures. Fulfill um, our, our, our pride of achievement and um, gather the things that we see. And he says, these are not from the Father, but from the world. And the world says, this is fading away. Jesus, actually, when he's praying for the disciples in his last night in the book of John, and he's praying for them, and he doesn't say, I'm, I'm, he, he says this, Father, I'm not asking for you to take them out of this world, but I'm asking that you would protect them while they are in it. Okay? And... and it can be real easy to say, man, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm ready to go. Like, I'm ready to go and I can't wait, but I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good and that, that we need to realize, that's, that's an old saying, right? It's like, we need to realize like God's got us here for a purpose and for a reason and we need to realize we're in this world, but we're not of it. And so how do we fight against the, the, the way of the world is we hold on to God's way. We hold on to God's way. What is God's way? And Paul says this, he says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war against the world or wage war as the world does. We fight with different weapons. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish these arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against God and we take them captive and we make them obedient to the ways of the world. God has a standard, he has a way of life, and it's upside down in complete contrast to the way the world does things. Because if you wanna be a leader and you wanna be first, what do you have to be? You have to be a servant and you have to be last. If you wanna be rich in God's kingdom, guess what you have to be? You have to be generous by earthly standards. And if you wanna forgive, you wanna receive forgiveness, walk in it, and it's like, wait, I thought Jesus forgives because of what he did, but scripture also says that he forgives us as we forgive others. As we have to walk in it, the world says, man, just write them off, hold a grudge, forget about it, right? But we also have to walk in that forgiveness. We have to walk according to the way of the world. And so we see this in Exodus 17, 19. We see this kind of final stand. Moses tells Joshua, go choose some men, go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff. And this is the battle plan. And you have to think, the people of Israel are not warriors. They've been in captivity for generations. They're slaves. They only know to do what they're told. They don't have a battle plan. They don't even have weapons. And they're going against the warriors. This is the warriors of Amalek. And so these guys have been living in the wilderness. They've been fighting battles. They've been raiding other people groups and they know what they're doing. And so Moses' battle plan is like, hey, Joshua. Oh, and I just, I'm just now, like, he said, go out and get some men. 
He's, he doesn't say, go get the best of the best. Hey, just, just, go, just go get somebody. <laughs> While you go get somebody, I'm going to go up on the hill, and, and I'm going to pray. And Joshua's probably like, oh, thanks. Thanks, my guy. <laughs> thanks. But what happens is as Moses is on the hill, he's fighting just differently. And that, that when the enemy comes and there's an attack, we have to fight spiritually, but we also have to fight practically. And so you see Moses up on the hill with the staff of God holding it up, which is a picture of intercession. It's a picture of prayer. But then you see Joshua down in the valley, and he's got the sword, and he's just going like this. And my mind went back to when I was a kid. And you, anybody else remember like the little twisty things on the blinds? You take those off. They make for great sword fights, right? And so Joshua's in there with his little blind stick, right? Or his sword or, or his stick. He, they have no weapons. And he's in the valley fighting practically while Moses is up on the hill fighting spiritually. And so when the battle comes in our life, it's gonna come on different fronts and just kind of thinking in my life. And like, there's, there are a lot of battles and I've said this for the last two or three weeks and I don't say that to bring attention to it, but I, I say this to bring strength and unity to our congregation. Because if you consider yourself a part of Avenue Church, Scripture says that we are a part of the body and we belong to each other. And I've said this, and that when one part suffers, what happens to the rest of the body? It suffers. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice, and that we belong to each other. We bear one another's burdens, and and then there are some things going on within our church that health issues and just like just stuff. And people are fighting on battlefronts, and sometimes it's mental health. Like, that's a huge thing right now within our society, and a lot of it, I think, is because of this guy and what we allow in to cultivate and shift our thought process. And so how do we combat that spiritually? Through prayer and through Scripture, right? Paul says, when you think about these things, think about things that are noble, that are praiseworthy, that are excellent. Think about these things. Fix your thoughts, which means to hang on. So we do that spiritually, but then also, all right, practically, what, what can we do? Well, how about, how about we exercise a little bit because practically, studies have shown time and time again that physical exercise boosts endorphins and it helps our mental state. How about, and, and I'm the worst at this, how about we get seven to eight hours of sleep <laughs> right? That's a joke, right? No, but, but for real, I know when, when I'm lacking sleep, my mental state is not as sharp and as healthy as it should be. Practical things. And even so much as maybe you've experienced so much trauma, you've tried prayer, you've done the Bible study, but there's still some things that you got to work out. Hey, you know what? Let's do something practical and go to therapy. Let's, let's not shun it. Let's, let's use these giftings that people have. Now make sure you do your research on who you're going to talk to, right? When it comes to our marriage, we, we do the spiritual thing of praying over our spouse, praying with our spouse, doing devotions together. But then also we do the practical thing of, hey, let's, let's get a date night. We learn the love language of our spouse. If you don't know what that is, Google it, all right? We all have one. And you may be speaking a different language with your spouse that you don't realize. We do the spiritual things. We do the practical things. We did the spiritual things today by dedicating our children to the Lord. But we also have to do the practical things of setting some boundaries and parenting with boundaries for our kids. And my parents did not do that as much as what I do with my kids. In seventh grade, I convinced my mom to buy Dr. Dre the chronic. 
And she was like, okay. And he was just like, but, but what does this parental advisory mean? And I was like, I just got a couple of cuss words on it. <laughs> it's nothing too great. It was bad, y'all. <laughs> My kids don't have that. <laughs> they don't have that CD. But we set boundaries and there's been some boundaries that have been looser with my kids than what my parents had. Um, it's kind of funny, like I joked that my, my mom would put like a, a tracker on my car that she knew everywhere I would go. That's how much of a persistent mom she was. That didn't exist then, but it does now with Life360. So if you're a parent, check it out. It's great, right? But we, we parent with guardrails and even with our finances, we tithe spiritually and dedicating what God has given us back to him. But then we also budget. So there's a practical side and a spiritual side, right? And so when we look at this, we see Moses lifting up his hands and, and we see that as long as his hands are up spiritually, they're winning. And so the battle is ultimately won as we stay strong spiritually. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter six, verse two. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so this fight that we're in, it may be with, with, with someone at work, it may be a toxic relationship, it may be someone coming against you, but just know this, you're not just fighting the person in front of you, you're fighting the spirit that's behind them. I'm not saying they're oppressed. I'm not saying they're possessed. But there is a spirit at work, according to Scripture, that, that is trying to bring out the worst in us, to get us to give in to the flesh, to give in to the sin, to go the ways of the world. And so we have to not just look at that person and get angry at that person, but we have to realize there's an enemy at work behind all of this to bring disunity to the body of Christ, right? And so he says that, that we don't just war against that. And so when Moses is lifting his hands up, they win. When they're down, they lose. And he built this altar, not to himself. So they have the first victory, the first fight. They're one to know at this point. Never fought before. They're one to know. They're just like celebrating. And, and when Moses builds the altar, he doesn't build it to Joshua, who's the great warrior in the valley. He doesn't retire Joshua's jersey. He doesn't retire his own jersey and be like, like, I'm the guy, I'm the reason. I held my hands up the longest, so that's why we won. No, he builds the altar and he dedicates it and calls it Jehovah Nisi. He says, the Lord is my banner in victory. And so some of you may be in here like right now. Like I don't, like I know some situations, but I don't know all. And like we can get to a place if we're not careful and saying, man, I'm going through all of this and we can be like the children of Israel and say, is God even here? Like, I'm so thirsty right now. Is there even a God among us? And we can be so thirsty and be so caught up in what we're going through. Like, is, is God even here? Does he even care? And this is, this is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, no, despite all these things, what kind of victory does it say we have? Overwhelming. Not just we win by one, not just we win by two or three, but it says it's an overwhelming victory. And who's it through? It's not through our strength. It's not through Avenue Church. It's not through our great serve teams. It's, not, it's through Christ and his love for us. He is the ultimate banner. He is Jehovah Nisi, our banner of victory. He is Jehovah Nisi, our banner of victory. And what's awesome 
is Jesus predicts him being that banner. In John chapter 12, verse 31, he says this. He says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And so he's talking battle terms here. The time's come where the judgment's gonna be made and the, the, the great enemy Satan is gonna be cast out. And he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And he said this, scripture says, he's trying to tell his disciples, this is how I'm going to die. They didn't fully understand it, but he says, as I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That is, it's, it's, it's gonna be a banner of unity. That as I'm lifted up, it's gonna be the final judgment for the enemy, Satan, that victory is there. And so he says this, but the cool thing is Isaiah prophesied this in chapter 11, verse 10. Isaiah said, in that day, the heir of David's throne talking about Jesus, because Jesus was the final heir to David's throne. The heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to the world. And it says the nations will rally to him. And the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Isaiah prophesied that an heir of David's throne. So Jesus was in the lineage of David, that he will be lifted up as a banner and will draw all nations as a rallying point. And so on the flags outside, it's Avenue Church. Honor 10 is Avenue Church. We've got some t-shirts here and there. Our name is Avenue Church because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so everything that we do is about lifting that banner up. Every victory that we have is about lifting that banner up. Every battle that we're in, guess what? We lift up that banner so that while we're in the midst of the battle, we can turn and look and say, where do we need to be? Who's with us? Okay, Jesus is with us. But not just that, the banner is lifted in victory. And that banner stays. When I was in high school, I played basketball. And my sophomore year, we went to the state tournament. Oddly enough, it was right here in Murfreesboro. We made it not just to the first round, the second round, but we made it all the way to the state finals. Championship game. We played Pickett County from West Tennessee in 16. I'd grown my hair out. I could do that back then. And I had what we called a butt cut. And it was long, and it was parted in the middle. Guess what it looked like? Yeah, all right. And so the deal was we made it to the championship game and some of the guys were on the team were like, Moore, if we win state tournament, we're shaving your head. And Jennifer and I just started dating at that time. And I was, I, the championship game, I'm sitting on the bench because I didn't play. I'm sitting on the bench, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I want to win because we'll win the championship and it'd be awesome. We get the trophy and we had a bunch of seniors on the team and I wanted them to end their senior year. But I was like, but if we win, I lose my hair, and I might lose my girlfriend. <laughs> we lost, <laughs> so we didn't win the trophy. I got to keep my hair for a little longer, and I got to keep my girlfriend, <laughs> and now she's my wife. And so we won, I won, or <laughs> they didn't, I won. Um, but I remember like by my senior year, they, they retired one of the guy's jerseys, Matt Hoover. He went on to play like, um, like international ball overseas. 
And it was just like, seeing that, seeing that up there, my junior, senior, I was like, man, I would love to have my name retired somewhere. So that when people walk in, like, oh, that's Stephen. I remember Stephen, like he was incredible. They never said that about me, but it was a great thought, right? But now 25 years later, people walk in the gym and they see the name on the wall with the jersey. They probably have no idea who that guy was. They don't know anybody's name. They sure don't know my name, but they don't know who that guy is. And what happens is sometimes we raise up these banners in our life that we think are so significant that bring us honor and achievement and accolades and safety and victory, but they don't last. They don't last. They don't fly very high. They come down very quick when things get rough. But when we lift up the banner of Jesus, guys, we lift up the name of Jesus. We can rally there. We find victory there. And it says where he's raised up, it's a glorious place to live. And so if you're here today and that banner has not been lifted up in your life and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it says that he was lifted up to draw you to himself. I say this a lot, that you don't have to get anything prepared to get to that point. You get to that point, And he's already made all the preparations. And so I want to take just a moment as we close to pray for us with every head bowed and every eye closed. And um, some of us in this room, we're in the midst of a battle that that maybe no one knows. Maybe you've talked to some people. Maybe you've tried to resolve it um, by giving in to the things of the flesh, to sinful nature, just to maybe numb the pain, to stop thinking about it, to stop worrying about it. and, And you just feel defeated again and again and again. Or maybe you've tried to work the situation, the world's way, the world system through, through gaining achievements and gaining stuff and all the things that the world promises to fulfill. But scripture says the world is fading away and all the things of it are fading away. That's not working. So can we just come to the cross where Jesus has been lifted up, the banner of victory, the banner of peace, the banner of unity. And so, Father, for anyone in this room today that does not have a relationship to you, I pray that in this moment, they surrender to you. Not by repeating words that come out of my mouth, but, God, by speaking truth that comes out of their heart. If it's just something as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life, that's surrender and repentance and turning to you and turning away from the things of the world and giving what you've given us back to you and trusting it with us, trusting it with you, And God, that you take the guilt and the shame and the sin that brought us to this point and you replace it with grace and mercy and forgiveness. That we surrender to you. And God, for those of us that are in the midst of the battle and we've tried to fight things our way, God, I pray that we would keep our hands lifted, that we would fight spiritually, but then also do the hard work practically. that it means to to work out our salvation, to be disciplined in areas where we've failed to be. And so God, we just thank you for your word. Let it take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everyone says amen, amen, amen.